turn to Isaiah 62, verse 6 to 7, because that's where um, we get this idea of being watchmen from. Isaiah 62, verse 6 to 7. Guys, um, some of the stuff I say you'll have to read between the lines, uh, but I'll try to be as clear as possible. Some of the stuff um, you have to read between the lines because I don't want to spell out certain spiritual realities too plainly because um, don't know who all will be listening to this and how they'll uh, decode what is being said. But um, that said, let me just go ahead. So Isaiah 62, verse 6 to 7. And I'll stop in between if you have questions. Isaiah 62, verse 6 to 7. Uh, let me start at, uh, yeah, verse 6 to 7. I have posted watchmen on your walls of Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Look at what God is saying, eh? God is saying, listen, I want you to uh, persist and provoke me into action. I'm giving you permission to give me no rest. Very rarely do you hear that, eh? Because usually what you hear is people saying, once you've prayed, uh, it's a prayer of faith and you don't need to pray it again and again. Or sometimes people say, you've got to pray again and again because you need to persist with shameless boldness. And both are correct. Uh, neither is wrong. But here God is saying that, listen, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. So uh, the idea of today's uh, teaching is to let... Acts 29 for sure, no, and let other churches uh, that are listening know that, listen, during a time like this, we don't wait it out. During a time like this, like I said last week, we don't uh, sit back and say, this too shall pass. During a time like this, it is insufficient to just observe the rules that are good, but aren't enough to undo what is being done. During times like this, at least one of the roles given to um, uh, this church is to take an active stance against that which is happening spiritually so that God can undo as he did in Egypt the spiritual might of the powers involved before he undoes the military might in Egypt's case and in this case the condition of this um, virus called COVID. One of the things I've, uh, I've been telling myself is, Jacob, speak unashamedly of uh, spiritual realities. Don't hedge your bets because uh, there are so many voices out there that sometimes to say these things takes a little courage because who are we, eh? Who am I? Yeah, but that's, don't answer that. It was just a rhetorical question. No, Diana, I wasn't asking a question. Okay. So, um, Isaiah 62 verse 6 and 7 uh, God is saying listen uh, now that you are watchmen on the wall because I've trained you for this church I've trained you for this I've been talking about this for years on end and now I want you to be watchmen on the walls of Vancouver watchmen on the walls of greater Vancouver if you're from Sydney then Sydney if you're from Singapore Singapore Bahrain UK wherever you are Lithuania Brazil Wherever you are, God is asking you to now be watchmen on the wall. And he says, do not give me rest. Do not give me rest. Neither should you rest, because you should keep persisting, keep praying this through. Nor should you give me rest till I establish my will in your city. 
And so, does that mean that if we don't pray or if we don't follow Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, that God won't do anything? Because that's another way of thinking, eh? That I guess if we don't pray, God will not do anything. Not true. If God only moved when we prayed, civilization would be dead by now. If God only moved because we prayed, then a whole lot of people wouldn't recover. Here's the strange thing, guys. God wants us to pray so that we can participate in what he's doing. And the way we participate in what he's doing is by finding out what he wants to do, then agreeing with what he wants to do, and then walking with him as he does it. Did you hear that? Here's what God is saying. Listen, I want you to participate with me, but here's how you participate with me. You find out what I want to do, and then you begin to speak it. That's what prayer is, speaking or executing the will of God. Find out what I want to do. Agree with me then on earth in terms of what I want to do. And then walk with me as I do it. And so the intent of God is, listen, if you become watchmen on the wall and join me in praying, in persisting, in finding out what I want, then you get to be part of this adventure because I'm going to do it either way. And that aside, a church that begins to participate like that has the ability to accelerate the purposes of God here on earth. One of the things that Mary, the mother of Jesus, does in Cana is even though it was not time, she hastened the uh, disclosing of the first miracle that the Son of God did here on earth. He goes to her and says, it's not my time yet. And she turns to the servants and says, do what he says, because she had made a request. So watchmen on the wall have this dual purpose, one of having... Uh, this ability to participate, speak, execute what God wants to do on earth. And secondly, they have the ability to accelerate what God wants to do on the earth. And God is only willing to do it, eh? That's where this title comes from. Let me read that scripture once again so you don't forget it. I have posted, so, so if he were talking to us, here's what he would say. I have posted you as a watchman on the walls of Vancouver. You better not be silent day or night, you who call upon the Lord. Give yourselves no rest, and by the way, give me no rest, says God, till I establish in Vancouver what I want to, and make her the praise of the earth. What a privilege, eh? And by the way, God's always been into cities. When you look at how God started creation, he did start it in a garden. Guess how it ends? It ends in a city. When you go to Revelation 21, you see a city coming out of the heavens. God started in a garden, he ends in a city. Remember Psalm 127.1, where it says, unless the Lord keeps the city, the, the, the watchman might as well go and take a nap. Because if the Lord ain't keeping the city, then the watchman watches in vain. What I'm trying to say is, guys, know that God is seriously interested in keeping this city, but he would love for us to be watchmen who can participate in the adventure of God. Here's the thing, guys. When we don't participate in the adventures of God, we don't even have a record of it. That just saddens me, eh? What scares me most is that God is doing such amazing things on earth and the church does not even know it because they failed to participate in the adventure of God. The church often takes its um, uh, cue from Jacob at uh, uh, Bethel where he said, 
God was in this place and I did not even know it. One of the things I love doing in the morning is getting up and finding out the adventure that God wants to go on so that I can be part of that adventure. And during a time like this, man, I know what God is up to. Some of the videos you guys need to watch so that you get a hang of it. Read between the lines or if you're really desperate, call and ask me. But at the end of the day, we will not even be able to chronicle the history of God on earth through us if we don't participate in the adventure that God is on because he ain't staying silent through this. So yes, different churches have different roles. Some churches may have the role of distributing food and medicines and masks and toilet rolls and sanitizers, and I mean it very seriously, and groceries to different places. Eh? That's the role they play. There are other churches that are crying out to God for revival once, post, uh, uh, once COVID is over. Other churches that are speaking healing upon people who are dying. Other churches that are strengthening and lifting up uh, first responders. But our role, I know, is to undo the spiritual power behind the physical reality of COVID. And in that, we have to be watchmen on the wall. Others have different roles, this is our role. And that's why I want to go down this way. I mean, look at God eh? in uh, Jonah chapter 4 verse 11. Jonah is not very happy with the city of Nineveh. And the city of Nineveh was uh, about 120,000 people. That's about the size of Delta. Delta has and, yeah, just a little less than 120,000 people. And in Jonah 4.11, God says, God, God words it this way. Hey Jonah, shouldn't I not be, should I not be concerned about the city of Nineveh with its 120,000 people that do not know their right hand from their left? As in, they are innocent in this. I understand that sin brings judgment, guys. But we got to not take every plague that comes and say, and then say, this is God's judgment on people. Nineveh was a city that was sinful, man. And yet look at what God says through Jonah to Jonah in chapter 4 verse 11. They do not know their right hand from their left. Meaning, sure they are a sinful, wicked, pagan, heathen nation. But they don't know their right hand from their left. As in there is a sinful yet innocent condition sometimes that falls upon humans. And this is when God says, you have no idea how concerned I'm about this city. You think he doesn't say that about Vancouver. I'm not trying to uh, uh, get you to become emotional about Vancouver. I I'm just saying, come on church, for days like this we were born. For days like this we have been taught. For days like this we must rise up. I remember Jeevan once saying to me, Jacob, it's okay that you are fighting, but you need to raise warriors. And I'm saying, this church better rise up because this is our time to prove our metal, eh? You know, you can go to uh, um, war school forever, but you're proven in the battlefield. And times like this allow us, to the degree of uh, um, strength that we have, to begin to flex our muscles that we have... Uh, um, grown over the last two years and anyways when it comes to cities it's always been a contest between two cities when you go to revelation 17 9 17 18 or 19 18 i think it says there that there is a city called babylon in revelation 17 5 it talks about uh, babylon or a system being like a city that 
uh, is full of abominations, full of evil. And then there is another city that God established, and you read about it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, where it says, hey guys, don't you know that you have come to Zion, the city of the living God? It's always been a contest between cities. Why am I setting you up this way? Because I want you to know that God is seriously interested in cities. I don't know where you're listening from, but God is seriously interested in your city. But every city has walls and every wall has a watchman. And now you see why it makes sense to go to Psalm 24 and to, uh, <laughs> on a day like Palm Sunday, begin to quote from Psalm 24 verse 8 or 9 where it says, Lift up your heads, lift up you ancient gates. Let the king of glory now come in. Who is this king of glory? The one strong and mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. Join now with the rest of the church in saying, this day honor God till this COVID thing is complete. And then we'll have another battle to deal with later. And the strange thing about all these battles is they're all one. We are supposed to execute the, or fulfill the wish of heaven here on earth. These are not strenuous battles. These are battles that need to be endured. We'll talk about that another day. But on a day like Palm Sunday, on one hand, stand on those walls and open those gates, ancient gates of Vancouver. I wanted to talk about Vancouver's original purpose in the eyes of God, but I wasn't able to... Uh, get anything definite on it, so maybe we'll talk about it another time. But what was God's original intent when he, in his mind, knew that there would be a city called Vancouver and that you guys would be living in the city at this time? We'll talk about that another day. But here's the thing. Stand on those walls this week and begin to say, oh God, the only one who enters the city and begins to reign over it, the only one who decides what happens to the city is Jesus Christ, the King. And we say to the gates of the city, lift up your ancient doors, let the King of glory come in. And we say to ancient demonic doors, we shut you. We shut you because Jesus Christ is seriously concerned about the city of two million, like he was over Nineveh. And then with shouts of Hosanna, we begin to say, blessed is he, who? The Christ, who comes in whose name? In the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Behold your king riding on a donkey. Any questions before we go on to how do we, what are we supposed to do as watchmen on the wall? Before we go there, any questions? Any questions? No? Okay. So guys, here are different ways that you are supposed to be watchmen on the wall. And uh, as I read them out, I want uh, people who are listening uh, to begin to decide, okay, these are the things I will choose to do this week and I will give him no rest. There are nine or ten things you can choose from. But based on what you choose, begin to practice it for God's sake and for the sake of the city.
And so the first point I want to make is from Jeremiah 29 verse 7. Jeremiah 29 verse 7. And look at what it says, eh? And these were a people who were being taken into exile. And like it or not, Paul says that we are citizens of another kingdom in exile here. Jeremiah 29 verse 7. And here's what it says. This is required of you guys. This is required of me. Jeremiah 29 verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So there are two words said there. It says on one hand, Jacob, make sure you seek the peace and prosperity of your city. And then the second thing he says is, make sure you pray. Because as your city prospers, you prosper too. Strange, eh? How this is part of the prosperity gospel. <laughs> Which is hardly ever mentioned. <laughs> but part of the equation of the prosperity gospel is that you begin to seek first God's face for the peace, the shalom, some versions say, or the welfare of, your, of Vancouver. Seek his face saying, oh God, at this present time, what do I need to find from you that begins to tell me that this is how, you, uh, how I need to pray to bring shalom into the city, welfare into the city. And how do I pray, Father? Now that I know and I've sought you, now help me to pray this, speak this, stand in your balconies. Instead of beating pots and pans or lighting lamps, stand in your balconies and pray for the prosperity of the city. For the peace of the city. I love, love the word shalom or welfare because it kind of conveys more of God's heart. Because then it goes on to say, because if you begin to pray that way, then know that uh, you will prosper too. So that's the first preliminary step. And we got to do this once or twice a day this week. Eh? Church, th these are the times when who we are is proven. Otherwise, we are a bunch of guys who really get very good teaching and do nothing about it. Second, go to Genesis 18.32. Genesis 18.32. And you see uh, Abraham there uh, bartering with God for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so in Genesis 18.32, it says that, um, Genesis 18.32 It says um, um, in verse 30 Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, For the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. If you go further up, you see in uh, verse 23. Let's start at verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? And then verse 26, If I find 50, I will spare the whole place. Then Abraham spoke up again. 
Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? And then he brings it to 45. Then he brings it to 40. Guys, the reason I'm reading the whole thing is Abraham knew the character of God, eh? You, in, a, in a time when people had no idea of who Yahweh is, Abraham now gets to know who Yahweh is. And how does this man, in such a short span, get to know God the way he gets to know it, man? It's not like the Holy Spirit dwelt in Abraham then. The Holy Spirit was drawing him. He drew him out of the earth of Chaldees. But here is a man who gets to know God. And he knows how wicked Sodom is. Abraham is under no illusion with regard to the wickedness of Sodom. And yet Abraham knows the strange characteristic of Yahweh. And the characteristic of Yahweh that he's, uh, th that he's using to barter is the mercy of God. That here is a God who is ridiculously merciful. And that is what then emboldens Abraham. Huh? And have you noticed how it first has him go in increments of 10? He starts from uh, increments of 5. He starts from 50 to 45. 45 to 40. And then from 40, now that he's emboldened that he knows the mercy of God, he goes from 40 to 30, 30 to 20, 20 to 10. Why? Because now this man knows that here is a merciful God. I am in negotiations with him. I started with increments of 5. I'm going to double it and make it increments of 10. And he brings it down to 30 to 20 to 10, knowing that he can depend on the mercy of God. The other thing Abraham does is initially he starts by saying to God in verse 23, Hey God, Let's talk about your righteousness and your mercy. Would you actually destroy the righteous? That's how he starts. But in verse 24, he quickly shifts to, Oh God, if there are 50 righteous, wouldn't you now spare the city? And he goes from the righteous to the entire city. I love what this man who just found out that the God who spoke to him was Yahweh, the self-existent one. I love that this man had the confidence or the audacity. To go and begin to deal this way with God. And it's not like he had people in Sodom other than Lot. All he needed to do was get Lot out and everything would have been fine. But not for Abraham, eh? Man, I was praying with someone a couple of days ago for Vancouver. And it was one of the first times that I've actually wept for this city. Saying, oh God, spare the city itself, not just the righteous. Spare the city itself. And I'm not talking about sparing the city just from COVID. I'm talking about sparing the city post-COVID too. That what the enemy is planning to do that is supposed to be irreversible will also be something that God plans to do that will be irreversible. I'm going to be a watchman on the walls, man. I'm going to give God no rest. Giving God no rest is not unceasing prayer for eight hours. Giving God no rest is... Uh, just being present, where God becomes so aware of your presence and your heart that he does not know where to go to and he laughs his head off saying, this boy has finally got it. So, uh, begin to think like this, eh, as a watchman, begin to ask, uh, begin, to, begin to take advantage of the mercy of God. Begin to take advantage of the mercy of God. We, we take advantage of it every day because we sin. We Christians have that marvelous privilege. Man, begin to take advantage of the mercy of God for the people of the earth who do not know him. The people of your city. Let's just start with Jerusalem and then go on to Judea. These are things you must practice. I don't know which of these points you're going to take, but you have to take these points and begin to practice it this week. 
If you don't want to practice it, turn off your computer right now, eh? Because you'll be responsible once you hear this message. Did anyone go off? <laughs> they better not. Whoever goes off, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the third thing I want to talk about is from 2 Kings 2.19. 2 Kings 2.19. 2 Kings 2.19. 2 Kings 2.19. And it's that story of um, Elisha and Jericho. I was praying with someone and they started praying this and I thought, huh. This is one way God takes care of cities. So listen to what it says there. Verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see. But the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Some versions say that the water is toxic, it kills, and the land is barren. Um, Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I've healed the water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word that Elisha had spoken. So uh, the third thing that some of us can do, or all of us can do, is salt the source uh, in the city. And what I mean by that is, guys, uh, in cities, in towns, in nations, um, this was very common in the Old and the New Testament. The land would be polluted by sins and by the deities that were worshipped in the land. I mean, if you, word, uh, if you search for the word polluted in uh, the Old Testament, you'll have this word coming up again and again, that the land was polluted by the sin of the people. The land was polluted by the deities they worshipped. The land was polluted by the demonic uh, rituals that were practiced. And in cities, the land is polluted. And during times like this, one of the ways to begin to bring the city into a place of safety is to decontaminate the pollution that has been brought in by, the, by sin and the demonic. In this case, in this story, where Elisha is approached by the people of Jericho, what had happened hundreds of years before that was that when Joshua was um, conquering Jericho, he speaks and says, Jericho will never be rebuilt. And there was a king called Hiel, H-I-E-L, he decides that even though there is a ban on rebuilding Jericho, that Jericho will be rebuilt. And he builds Jericho back up. But in the process of building Jericho back up, to prevent or to help him build despite a ban, he sacrifices his oldest son as a sacrifice for the building of Jericho. And there's a curse upon the land. And years later, here is Elisha, and the people are coming up to him and saying, hey, uh, the water is toxic and the land is barren. And that is when Elisha takes a new bowl. He takes salt, which is a purifying agent, in this uh, symbolic of purifying, and he sprinkles it at the very origin of the um, uh, water, and the waters stay healed. The intent is some of us may have an idea of, some of us may have a really good idea of, or some of us may have actually caught on to some of the things that have spoken in the past and understand that both in this nation and in Vancouver and in different cities around the world, there are things that have to be undone spiritually. 
where you have to go to the source and sprinkle salt. And by sprinkling salt, all I mean is declaring the name of Jesus Christ and undoing evil that has contaminated or polluted the land. So much so that spiritual powers now have the ability to blow across the land at will. And they must be undone so that the water can be made whole again. You know, there's one particular city in this, la in this nation, for instance, where uh, 16 years ago, at, at this very time, between April 25th and uh, between March 25th and April 5th, there was a sacrifice or a ritual that was performed with the tacit agreement of some leaders, where 722 demons were released in the, into the waterways of certain provinces in this land. They were called benevolent spirits, and they were released into the waterways, into Lake Ontario down through St. Lawrence into Quebec and down into the Atlantic Ocean, saying that we bless these lands with these benevolent spirits, 722 of them. Demonic spirits called benevolent. Over a period of six days with much dance and sacrifice. Who will stand up and say at the source where these powers were released, who will stand up and say, I now declare in the name of Jesus Christ a nullifying. I sprinkle salt from a new bowl. I give it a new start. Passover was about a new start, man. Yeah. Some of the videos that I'll be putting up will talk more about what needs to be decontaminated, what needs to be undone in terms of the pollution that has struck this city and this nation and some of the provinces in this nation through either ignorance or through uh, foolish invitation of powers that have ravaged this land. Any questions? I'll wait for a few minutes. Sixteen years ago. You know, in every city, in most um, churches that believe in Jesus Christ, there are people that God raises ahead of time who can take stances in any of these uh, different points that are being made. God already raises up people, eh? God raised up Joseph before the famine. God raised up judges like Samson before captivity so that when captivity came, they could carry the gates of a city on their uh, backs and walk free. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised as you listen that there are people in your church and definitely at Acts 29 who can begin to step into these roles and say, we will be watchmen who will take on this responsibility for the next seven days while people like the provincial health minister and uh, the health officer do their part and they're doing a really good job we need to begin to work in the spiritual as uh, strenuously as they are working in the physical they work with limited visible scientific knowledge we work with unlimited spiritual divine knowledge which brings me to my next point which is that 
Um, guys, during times like this, cities are often saved by wisdom. I'm not talking about earthly wisdom. I'm talking about divine wisdom. So cities are saved through wisdom. If you go to Ecclesiastes 9, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13 to 16. Ecclesiastes 9. Question, go ahead. How do you do this without stepping into presumption? We're going to the previous point where when you begin to deal with uh, powers that have polluted the land, how do you deal with them without stepping into presumption? So I can give you three points that will help. One, um, join up with someone and talk to them about what you think and what you think you should do. I love it. When people who've, uh, who I've prayed with in the past uh, couple of weeks, before they pray, they'll stop and say, hey, Jacob, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Shall I go down this route? And so one, figure out what God is saying and then go and bounce it off someone who has walked this before or is willing to walk with you and ask. So that's one way to keep yourself safe from presumption. If you're climbing up Grouse Mountain, I'd suggest you not go with me. Because I haven't gone up yet. But go with someone who's done this before and they'll take you safely without you going over the edge. Go with me. She must have done the grouse grind. She cycled. Anyways, that's another topic altogether. It gets me going sometimes. Second, um, whatever you do must be done in faith and I have always noticed when I slip from faith to bravado, I'm always aware of it. Because either I find that I'm speaking louder, repeating myself, fishing for words. Uh, I don't mind being clumsy in my uh, uh, speaking. But I know when I'm suddenly uh, flaunting and not uh, coming from a place of absolute assurance. That's another way that I know I'm stepping into presumption. And third, um, I do not recommend fighting Goliath till you fought the lion and the bear. So if you fought the lion and the bear, now God will take you into the next place. Presumption is when you haven't fought the lion, you haven't fought the bear, and you go straight into fighting Goliath, um, without any previous experience. And that would be foolish. So go with what you knew last time and a little more. And then the last one I would suggest is uh, imitation is good, mimicking is not. Imitation is good, mimicking is not. Just because you've seen someone else do something a certain way, if you mimic that, you fall flat on your face. If you imitate that, it requires training it's training that leads to imitation. It is copying that leads to mimicking. So if I were to uh, watch you um, skate on ice, and as passionate a hockey fan as I am, if I wore your skates and went on the ice, uh, it'd be a very different, I'd be tobogganing. The point is, you don't 
imitate, you don't mimic, you imitate. These four things should keep you relatively safe. Let me throw in a fifth one. Who brought this question up? It's taking away time, but I got nowhere to go after this. So the fifth question is, the fifth point is this. Guys, how good are you in terms of wielding the sword of the spirit? Because uh, at the end of the day, the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how fluent are you in wielding it? Sorry? Okay, going back to the fourth point. Wisdom saves cities. Wisdom saves cities. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13 to 16. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13 to 16. Where is Ecclesiastes? After Proverbs? Ecclesiastes 9, 13 to 16. Here's what it says. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered the poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. We'll talk about the poor man another day. But what stands out here is that he was a poor man who didn't have much clout, didn't have much authority. Nobody knew him. As soon as he had finished what he was supposed to do, he was despised and forgotten. But guess what? He still saved the city. I was thinking of this yesterday and was immediately reminded of the Church of Philadelphia where um, uh, Jesus says to the Church of Philadelphia, hey, you are, you are a church of little strength, but behold, I've placed an open door before you. And sometimes I think he says that to us, that nobody knows you. You're not very rich. You're not well known. Um, you're just about improving in terms of how you do uh, online church. But uh, behold, I've placed before you an open door and I've given you wisdom. So church, here's what I'm saying to you. Begin to ask God, Father, uh, and by the way, let me define wisdom first. Wisdom, uh, uh, wisdom is uh, the, the foresight or the insight that the Holy Spirit gives. And once he gives foresight or insight, he then adds to that his intelligence or your ability to understand what's happening. And then he helps you practically work it out. That's what wisdom looks like. That's the kind of wisdom that saves a city. First foresight, where you see things before they happen. And my God, nobody else can bring that to pass except the Spirit of God. And with that foresight now, to the foresight, you have to add understanding or intelligence. As in, all right, so I see a storm coming. That doesn't help because all you can do when a storm is coming is run. But then you have the understanding like this guy had, Joseph. You see this illustrated so well in Joseph's life. He had the foresight to see a famine was coming. But if that was all he predicted, then all he was was a doomsday prophet. With doomsday actually happening. But then that is not where he stops. To that then the Holy Spirit takes Joseph and says, let me give you uh, understanding or intelligence to prepare for the famine. And so he begins to prepare for the famine. And then 
He tells Pharaoh how to prepare it, and Pharaoh realizes, ah, shucks, this guy has the foresight, this guy has the understanding, so he might be able to tell us how to practically do it. And then Joseph begins to practically work it out, where he begins to set up silos or barns where they collect the grain for seven years, and he begins to give out the grain in such a way that the Egyptians get grain first and then the rest of the nations and every time they get grain he begins to take their land and Pharaoh begins to rule all of Egypt. This is what the wisdom of the Spirit of God looks like. This is the kind of wisdom that saves a city and I'm saying to you church arise! What? The Holy Spirit will only give wisdom to a few? No, he chooses poor men, men. They are forgotten. But the city is saved. I've been asking God for this, eh? Father, through this, give wisdom, oh God. Not just for Vancouver, not, definitely not for Acts 29, but for a circle that spans a much larger area so that people begin to get into a place of safety. I forgot you guys are here. All at least at three or four meters apart. But if I look at you, Diana usually says you don't look at the camera enough. So, I'll just look back at the camera. Just wave, guys, you're on camera. This is our studio. Uh, <laughs> hey, just show them the studio. It's very impressive if we call this our studio. They might think we are actually a mega church. If the studio is this big, how big is the church? Huge. Guys, uh, there's another story of a woman who saves another city. Eh? Uh, these are stories we almost never read. But again, guess what she's called? A wise woman. And sometimes wisdom means removing one piece and an entire city can be saved. Go to 2 Samuel 20. 2 Samuel 20. I could have avoided going uh, to this story. But it's a story rarely read. 2 Samuel 20. 2 Samuel 20, uh, verse uh, 22. 2 Samuel 20, uh, let's start at verse uh, 15, or 16, or 15, yeah. 2 Samuel 20, verse 15. All the troops with Joab came and besieged Sheba in Abel Beth Makkah. They built a siege ramp up to the city, and it stood against the outer fortifications. While they were battering the wall to bring it down, a wise woman called from the city. Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so I can speak to him. He went towards her and she asked, Are you Joab? He said, I am, he answered. She said, listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. She continued, long ago they used to say, get your answer at Abel and that settled it. We are, at, we are the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You're trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? Far be it from me, Joab replied. Far be it from me to swallow up or destroy. That is not the case. A man named Sheba, son of Bikri, from the hill country of Ephraim, has lifted up his hand against the king, against David. Hand over this one man and I'll withdraw from the city. The woman said to Joab, his head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice and they cut off the head of Sheba, son of Bikri. 
and threw it to Joab. So he sounded the trumpet, his men dispersed from the city, each returning to his home, and Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. A slightly gory story, right? But the point is this, sometimes the wisdom of God will tell you which piece to remove or which piece to put in, and an entire city, an entire nation, an entire generation, an entire period can be changed because two or three men sought the wisdom of God, which he gives without grudging, so that situations can be changed. And what if you didn't seek it? And what if you didn't speak it? God will go ahead and do it and you will never know it because history is recorded by those that participate with God. I, I, I wish I could tell you the, um, the weight of what uh, we are dealing with here, guys. History is recorded by people who participate with God. This book has been written, especially books like Chronicles, Samuel, were written because these people were actually present. I love what Luke writes when he begins his letter to, uh, when he begins the gospel, and then when he begins the book of Acts, he says, Dear Theophilus, here is an account of those things that I saw. If I were to actually write everything that I saw, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. I don't want to go to heaven and find out, ah, shucks, here's where you missed out, here's where. No, I want to be part of history. I love that song during this time. I want to be a history maker. You can't be a history maker. You can just walk with the one who's making history, and that's God. But it's the only way you chronicle things, man. There have been times where, and a few know some of these stories where the removal of one or two people or the uh, displacement of one or two people and the replacement of those people by others has changed the destiny of nations. And I'm not talking about something 200 years ago. I'm talking about things that I've been involved in in my life where uh, people were removed and people were placed and it began to shift uh, the history of sometimes one or two nations, or at least one or two provinces. Meet me after COVID and ask me to share some of these stories one-on-one. -on -one. Buy me dinner, and if it is good, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, the next uh, thing that uh, I was really challenged by uh, was what Abraham did when Sodom was attacked by the five kings in Genesis 14. And Abraham knew that Lot lived in Sodom and the city was attacked by these five kings. And now uh, look at what Abraham does in Genesis 14. Genesis 14. 14 to 16. Genesis 14. Uh, let's start at uh, verse 10, Genesis 14:10. Hey, Don, can I have some more hot water? Genesis 14:10. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham, the Hebrew. Now Abraham was living near this, oh Don, 
you'll bring the cup back, right? I want to introduce you to the world. One who had escaped came back and reported this to Abraham the Hebrew. Now Abraham was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshkol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them and he routed them and pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. You know, uh, what challenged me about it is that here, is, uh, here, here are five kings who've come up against four kings, have stripped Sodom and Gomorrah, have taken Lot as captive. And Abraham didn't go with a few men. It says he uh, rallied 318 men who belonged to his household, all of them born and raised in his household. And he said, guys, we all now go to rescue what has been taken. I was reading this and I was thinking to myself, at least I, I can speak to Acts 29. Acts 29, you do not have a choice. You cannot sit through this. doesn't matter where you're at, whether you've been saved for two months, two days, or 200 years. You now have to stand up because I'm saying that all 318 that have been raised, that have been born, that have been bred in this house must stand up to rescue people in this city from what the enemy is trying to do. And what is the enemy trying to do? I explained it. I explained it. And if you don't remember, go back to the videos, man. Because if, if I go down that route, it'll take forever. If you're not watching the videos, stop it and watch it. That's Bob Newhart's advice. The point is this, uh, raise up your households to fight for this city. And by fight, I don't mean some big, you know the strange thing about Christian warfare is that nothing looks like fighting. That's the strange thing about Christian warfare. It is speaking, it is singing, it's declaring, it is symbolic, but it is highly effective. When do you flail in Christian warfare? Not fail, flail in Christian warfare. You flail when you do not know who you are fighting. And I would suggest to you that by the grace of God and the wisdom of God, some of the things have been made clear. Go listen to them. Go watch them. It applies to the entire globe, man. But raise up your household to the extent you can without stepping into presumption like we just talked about. Begin to stand on these walls and say, oh God, COVID is one thing that will end. Whether you like it or not, using masks or using vaccines, it'll end. But what is behind it is so much greater. And I just pray an end to it. Go listen to what I said about Leviathan. Go listen to the patterns that I pulled out from Genesis 3, Genesis 6, and Genesis 11. Go listen to how through the history of the world, lack, famine, disease, and war have always been used to bring mankind into a place of fear, pride, greed, and lack so that they can find their solution in commerce, religion, and politics or government. Drawing them away into a city called Babylon and not into a place called Zion. Fight for these things. Go to Isaiah 27.1. 
and unsheathe the merciless mighty sword, which is the word of God, to the extent that you can and begin to speak it boldly for this city, for this nation, for the nations of the world as God shows you which one to pick. Go to Isaiah 51, 9. Go to Psalm 74, verse 13 and 14. The strange thing is, if Acts 29 begins to do this, guess what? You receive the spoils of war. That's something I'm looking forward to, eh? You know, uh, this church will gather the spoils of war. And this church will be able to present it to the Lord saying, Here, God, these are the spoils of war we dedicated to you. Because the spoils of war is not money, man. It's not fame. Those things, anyone can provide you. Like I said, between Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Mark Zuckerberg, most Christians can have their needs met. But we are talking about the spoils of war in terms of people, the treasures of darkness. People, devote them to God. And guess what? This church will also benefit in terms of being blessed by Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of God. God will bless. God blesses warfare. He loves it when people take a stance with him. Because he's the one who's fighting, eh? You're just shouting. Hey, Don, you came and placed this water here and disappeared. I wanted to introduce you. The next one. Guys, uh, this everyone at Acts 29 should try and practice. Um, it's in uh, Numbers 23. Numbers 23. When, when, when the enemy comes against a city, then uh, Numbers 23 verse uh, 13 onwards. Numbers 23. I don't think you have this scripture, Josh. Numbers 23 verse 13 onwards. And this is when Balak, the king, hires Balaam, an evildoer, to afflict uh, the camp of Israel. Or, for the lack of a better word, the city of Israel. It was called a camp then. Verse 13. Then Balak said to him, come with me to another place where you can see them. You will only see a part but not all of them. And from there, curse them for me. So he took me to the field of Zophim on top of Pisgah. And there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I meet with him over there. The Lord met with Balaam and put a message in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and give him this message. So he went to him and found him standing beside his offering with the princes of Moab. Balak asked him, what did the Lord say? Then he uttered his oracle. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. One of the things I want us to engage in this week is to... Lord say is, is to declare the clamorously loud, boastful praises of God every morning this week for the city. Let the enemy know that the shout of the king is in the midst of Vancouver. Let the enemy know that the shout of the king is in the midst of Brisbane. It may be only one voice, 
but like you've heard it many times and I don't mind repeating it even though it sounds so cliched, God plus you is a majority. The shout of a king is in our midst. It frightened Balak. Balaam, one of the most powerful practitioners of sorcery in those days, hired by a king who was willing to give him a room full of jewelry, now says that, hey, we can't touch them. This God of theirs does not lie. When he makes up his mind, there's nothing that can change it. There is no sorcery or divination against this group of people. And by the way, the shout of their king is in their midst. You know, there are... I'm going to go this way without going too far. As I've said on some of the videos, whenever a globe is brought to a standstill, it is always the work of rulers and powers that exist. We're not talking about the demonic, uh, we're not talking about spiritual hosts of depravity, as Paul says. We're talking about rulers, cosmocratos, or rulers of darkness. Some of the names mentioned in the Bible are Apollyon or Abaddon. Another name mentioned is Legion. Another name mentioned is Leviathan. Another name that symbolizes evil is, Jez is actually Python. Acts 16. Job 41. Luke I uh, don't know. Revelations, don't know the chapter. What we are dealing with present is in Job 41. We, I briefly touched it when we uh, recorded one of the videos more than 10 days ago. If you haven't heard it, my question is, why haven't you? You may have a good answer, eh? Thank God I can't hear your answer. But one of the ways to deal with an enemy who is out to curse and destroy a camp or a city is for the enemy to hear the shout of the king in the midst of the city. Jeevan often comes home thinking it's his house. I don't know why he gets it wrong. And unfortunately, I gave him my keys and I'm not able to take them back. And sometimes when I come home, he'll be sitting in uh, the studio. I have a studio now at home. And uh, he'll be singing, sometimes in Telugu, sometimes in English. But I love not going and I just listen to it. I hope I hear that when I drive past your home, man. The shout of a king in your midst. You with your children and your family or you with your cat. clamorously boastful praise. Why? Because it says in Psalm 46 verse 5 <laughs> Psalm 46 verse 5 and these were written by people who didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. Psalm 46 verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help them at the break of day. These are things we can indulge in. So Jacob, if we do this, how will we know if anything is happening? God is faithful. That is enough. A wise man once said to me, a wise young man once said to me, hey Jacob, most of the things that you have 
accomplished have been done quietly. So why don't you go about doing what God is asking you again? Do it quietly. I'm saying that to you. We don't need things proven uh, in newspapers before we do things. We do them because we are commanded to. Obedience. Understanding is highly overrated. Three more points and then we're done. Guys, um, um, begin to begin to pray based on uh, your understanding and your knowledge. Begin to pray that uh, the ones that have surrounded and laid siege to the globe, the powers that have laid siege to the globe, realize that our shucks, the chariots of Israel and the horses of Israel are here. And this is not going to be a battle that we will win. Every day I'm praying that. That, Father, I come against certain powers that are beginning to harm our city. <laughs> and as we come against these powers, I just pray now in Jesus Christ's name for warring angels, Abba, to hold them at bay. Go to Second Kings 6.15. 2 Kings 6.15. Sometimes you can't do justice to what you really want to say on an online broadcast like this, because, um, yeah, Second Kings six fifteen. When this um, verse thirteen onwards, go find out where he is. The king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back; he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. This is not the road and this is not the city. Hey, awesome words, eh? This is not the road, this is not the city. You immobilize the enemy with your prayer. Sometimes pray in tongues, man. Because the angels understand it. Pray in tongues. When you don't know how to pray. Ask God for this city, for Ontario, for Quebec, for this nation. Ask God for Spain, for Italy, for the U.S., one of the things that will do this nation good is it's walking in humility. This power cannot be dealt with except in humility. It's very hard to explain this whole scripture here. This is why, guys, it's important that I prepare myself in, I prepare myself in times of peace so that during times of war, I'll be able to stand and do what I need to do. Let's take a break and ask if there are questions. Any questions? You think Paul didn't know this when he went into Ephesus? And he had to deal with she who was famous in all of Asia Minor? 
Artemis? You think Paul didn't know it when 50,000 drachmas of uh, stuff that was um, uh, full of chants and magic was burnt in Ephesus? How does Paul deal with Simon Magus? How does Peter deal with the magician? How does Paul deal with the guy who he met on the island of Paphos? Who tried to stop Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, from accepting Christ? It changed an entire land because when Sergius Paulus accepted Christ, it changed, once the governing authority accepts things, everything under changes. But there was someone who was stopping it. Can't go into the uh, nitty-gritty details of how to do it. But to the extent that, you know, begin to stand as watchmen on the walls of the city saying, Oh God, I know that because I am your child, that I can ask, Oh God, that this city that I belong to be spared. That though there may be enemy armies that always exist behind physical realities, in the name of Jesus Christ, as simply as I know it, know it I say no to you and I say yes to God. And I begin to raise a hallelujah. I begin to start singing the song Echo. I begin to sing these songs because the shout of the king is in the midst of the city. I don't know how many nations are listening to us. Let's say six nations. What if there are six nations that will be helped because of this? I'm telling you, man, I've found out one thing in life some four years ago, that it takes one man and God to change things. I actually believe that. It's not words and you need to believe it too because it's true. History proves it again and again and again. Next one is guys, prophesy the intent of God. Prophesy the intent of God. Prophesy the intent of God. Prophesy is not stringing some scriptures together and speaking them. Prophesy is finding out the mind of God and then once you find the mind of God to actually craft it as in write it down. And then begin to speak it. Prophesy the intent of God. So much of warring is done through the prophetic. So much of warring is done through the prophetic. You don't have to be a prophet to prophesy. You can ask God and then begin to speak. If you go to Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, if you go to Second um, Kings 19, Second Kings 19, it's the story of Hezekiah. But it's Isaiah who's prophesying. 2 Kings 19, verse 32 onwards. Verse 32. It says there, Therefore this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. Therefore this is what the Lord says. Who's speaking? Isaiah is speaking. Therefore this is what the Lord says concerning Assyria. And then he begins to prophesy. Now, now, now think of the context. Eh? Sennacherib, who was an evil ruler that had destroyed city after city, nation after nation, has come and surrounded Israel. Hezekiah knows this is the end. And then they begin to pray. And Isaiah begins to prophesy. Even though the siege ramps are being set up, even though Sennacherib has challenged Israel saying, you think your gods are going to save you? Look at the gods of Arkpad. Look at the gods of this nation. They couldn't save you. And then as Isaiah begins to say, he will not enter the city. 
or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Assyria was known as one of the fiercest empires that was brutal in its decimation of those that stood against it. And then it says, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. Prophesy the angel of, the of God. Prophesy the intent of God. This requires climbing up the watchtower and looking and seeking what God will say, like Habakkuk. What are we trying to do, guys? Make the church famous? Yeah. That's Greek for nah. Uh, is it to... Um, Get some fame in terms of, ah, oh, we had this marvelous revelation. I'm telling you, man, we might have wisdom, but no one will know us after this is done. I don't care, really, if they do or don't. It is to bring to pass God's deep desire for the earth for two reasons that really bother me. One, that people are dying. And unto us is appointed a life to live here and then death and then the judgment. People are dying. And two, when this is over, people will turn again to the system of commerce, as in mammon, false religion, as in some kind of New agey nights feeling that will make you feel that you're at peace with your inner being or government and politics where they will provide you a temporary fix. And this will again cause people to be dulled in their hearts towards God. I, I don't want either of it to happen. No, I don't want either of it to happen. Neither does God, eh? Neither does God. And that's one of the reasons where I'm saying to you, you've got to be watchman on the wall, man. Plus, come on, man. How many times has the world been brought to a standstill like this? You think this isn't the enemy? If you listen to the video, the last one talked about Genesis 3, irreversible change to the earth when Adam sinned and decay and death came in. Genesis 6, when evil angels left their boundaries and cohabited with the women of the earth to the point that the very gene pool of mankind was contaminated and the flood was an absolute necessity so that Noah could start again because Noah was a righteous man. Irreversible change. And then Genesis 11, where Nimrod raised up a kingdom and then asked mankind to gather around a common purpose defying God. Decay and death, 
demonic interference, defiance. And then God brings a deliverer. And the deliverer comes in the form of a man called Abraham who leaves the Ur of Chaldees and begins to follow this God and builds him an altar and calls upon the name of God and calls him Yahweh. And through him the nations will be blessed. And through his descendants the nations will be blessed. And I'm asking you, who are you? You're a descendant of Abraham by faith, supposed to be a blessing to the nations. There might be death and decay being brought around the world. Irreversible changes are these. Well, there might be demonic interference. There might be defiance that will follow. But then there is this people now that God has placed on earth who will bring deliverance. Because they are the descendants of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the body of Christ. Yahweh intervenes through them. Yahweh intervenes regardless. But if we walk with him, we get to chronicle the history of God through this. And we shorten what could otherwise happen. Any questions before I uh, uh, talk about the last point? Let's go to Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12. You know the scripture. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and then he, I, I, I would suggest it's hierarchical. Some say no. Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, because the words used for each is very different, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so there is a need to dismantle these powers and as um, you are able to uh, hear, receive, believe what you're being taught, uh, then perhaps you can dig the word to find ways to dismantle the powers at work in cities, in nations, in territories, so that what the enemy is planned by bringing the globe to a standstill will not be accomplished. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Yeah. Uh, could you ask Radin to rephrase the question? And I can deal with it after I'm done with this point. Okay, guys, uh, I just want to take you to something I've mentioned to Acts 29 before. Um, I want to take you to the conflict of two kingdoms in the book of Exodus. And the conflict of the two kingdoms was the kingdom of God uh, expressed through his people, Israel, and the kingdom of Egypt. And there was a conflict happening there. Uh, uh, Radin asked the question, Is there are there physical aspects to the spiritual uh, conflict and uh, perhaps this would answer it. So there is a physical battle going on between Israel and Egypt in the book of Exodus. There is Egypt's military might and there is Israel's uh, condition as slaves. And yet God is raising up a deliverer called Moses saying, hey, I want you to now begin to come into conflict with one of the largest empires, one of the most powerful empires in the world, where Pharaoh is the divine king. And so begins a conflict between two kingdoms. 
On the external, it's a military conflict. But before God deals with the military might of Egypt, he dismantles the invisible spiritual might of Egypt. Each of the plagues in Exodus was, as it says in Exodus 12.12, a judgment on the gods of Egypt. When you go to Exodus 12.12, it says that the plagues were, were a judgment on the gods of Egypt. We've talked about this before, but the snake was a symbol of sorcery. And the first thing that is undone is when Moses' staff turns into a serpent and consumes the snakes of the magicians. Then you had the Nile, which was supposed to be a river that was um, sacred to Egypt. And the Nile god was called Hapi, H-A-P-I. And guess what? Hapi is slaughtered and turns to blood. There used to be another goddess of fertility called Hecate and uh, she goes berserk when frogs begin multiplying across the land. Cattle were worshipped, Apis the bull, Isis the cow, Amon the ram and in one simple plague uh, these uh, cattle that represented gods were decimated. Then it comes to what is critical in the eyes of Egypt. Ra was the sun god that was worshipped. Guys, we can't even imagine the fear that gripped Egypt with the ninth plague. We can't even imagine it. Ra was supposed to be a god that was worshipped all throughout the world, particularly in Egypt. And in one simple act, God smites Ra out of the sky and darkness like Egypt has never known. Darkness that was darker than dark nights. And I'm not trying to be poetic. I'm just telling you, the darkness that hit Egypt in the middle of the day was a smiting of Ra and now Egypt was in fear. As I'm speaking this, do you realize how critically important it is to first undo things that are spiritual behind situations like this that paralyze the entire globe. And then the physical can be dealt with, uh, not after. While there are churches dealing with the physical, let some churches deal with the spiritual. If that is a call placed upon some of us, so be it. Rise to it. We are no more than or less than the others who are taking care of first responders, people who are feeding and giving money away and taking care of People, organizations like Samaritan Spurs that are sending their own doctors to the front lines in New York. Um, people who are praying for the healing of those that are dying. These are important parts of the same task. It is always drive out the darkness and shine forth the light. But if this is our call, then begin to rise up to it. We can't be hesitating between one opinion and the other and my God may we not be found standing on Mount Carmel with Elijah speaking and saying who will you serve and everybody stays silent it is not acceptable because the scripture we started up with was Isaiah 62 where it says that do not be silent to watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem but begin to cry out to me and give me no rest and neither should you take rest and then the final plague was um, the death of the firstborn where it was a conflict between one divine king and the one true divine king Pharaoh's son was the son of God according to Egyptian belief because Pharaoh was divine so his son was divine and in the smiting of the firstborn the son of God died and that was the end of it man there was no question of the military 
might of Egypt being able to handle Israel. And so they let the slave people go. And then, after letting them go, after letting them go, they arouse themselves again for a last hurrah. And they begin to chase them down into the Red Sea. And as they're being chased into the Red Sea, Israel begins to become afraid. And Moses stands up as a deliverer, stretches out his hand, and he knows once again that the military might of Egypt will now be broken forever. And when you read the book of Psalms, you read about the same um, sea monster. Only it's called by a different name. It's called Rahab. And it says, you cut Rahab into pieces. You brought the seas back over it. don't want to get too excited. Psalm 74, 74, I think. Yeah, I think. No, it's not Psalm. Uh, yeah, Psalm 74. There's one place where you see it, verse 12, 13, 14. But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. I love that. I love the fact that even then, it was you bring salvation upon the earth. You bring rescue upon the earth, not to just a small group of people. Verse 12, 13, 14. This is a song written by Asaph. But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. Check Isaiah 51.9. The song... Yeah, beautiful. This is the sword of the Spirit, guys. This is the sword of the Spirit. Awake, awake. Clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days gone by, as in the generations of old. Was it, you, was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces? Who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the seas, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Church, arise, man. Pieces. I'm not saying, I'm not shouting saying arise as in you're not arisen. I'm just, I'm just saying, my God, we need to. I'm not, sh I'm not rebuking you. I'm excited for us. <laughs> this is how dismantling of powers works, man. And so during these days, guys, be absorbed in the majesty of the king of kings, eh? Be absorbed in the majesty of the lion of Judah. Be absorbed in the majesty of the warrior king. May your lifestyle 
begin to reflect, begin to speak loud, begin to think. May your lifestyle begin to uh, uh, engage and be absorbed with the warrior king. Let me read you Revelations 19, verse 11 to 15. Revelations 19, verse 11 to 15. Revelations 19, verse 11 to 15. It's such, a, such an amazing passage. I want to write a song on it. See if you can beat me to it. Revelations 19, 11 to 15. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. If you can paint this, someone should paint it. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes the sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. It goes back to Psalm 2 verse 9. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. I'll give you a scepter with which you will dash the nations like pottery. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe, I love this, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> I want you to go to verse 21 of the same chapter. And it projects the end of the enemy. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. God finishes the enemy pretty easily. Eh? Absorb yourself. Uh, 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 live a lifestyle that is absorbed with the majesty of the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Warrior King, the Lord of Lords over the next little while. Yeah? Guys, if we are faithful with this week, God will give us more to deal with next week. Because that's a principle always. Eh? Luke chapter 19, verse 17, talks about a man who was faithful with money, which is the least of all things, according to Jesus. And because he was faithful with money, he was handed ten cities. Another one was handed five cities. Come back to this whole theme of cities. In Vancouver, if you... In Brisbane, if you, in Bahrain, if you, in UK, if you are faithful with what you can get out of this. Because I can only be faithful with what I'm able to deal with at present. But if you're faithful with it and begin to choose from this list of things that you want to do this week, then God will give you more to deal with. And as a church, I challenge you to do this because our, our increase... Our sphere of influence depends on how we respond right now. Also know, guys, that land and life must be contested. Land and life must be contested so that it's handed over. 
Land and life must be contested so that it's handed over. You see this in Luke chapter 4 verse 5 where Satan offers to Christ the kingdoms of the world saying, hey, bow and I'll give you all this. And Jesus doesn't. He says, get behind me, Satan. You will worship the Lord your God. Land and life was contested then. Land and life must still be contested now. The only difference is Christ was slain and is risen and is Lord of lords and King of kings. But it still needs to be enforced. It's fulfilling that which is finished. Fulfilling that which is finished. Enforcing that which is finished. And as we go into this week of Good Friday and um, Resurrection Sunday, look at Isaiah 31. Isaiah 31, verse 4 and 5, and we'll end with that. Isaiah 31, verse 4 and 5. I love this scripture. Isaiah 31, verse 4 and 5. And I pray that when you bake, break bread in your homes this week, uh, when you uh, think of uh, a Good Friday and Sunday, begin to think beyond you. Christ died for you, remember him. But begin to think beyond you. Think for your city, eh? When Israel left Egypt, any Egyptian who wanted to join Israel would become the commonwealth of Israel and they would be protected too. You have a responsibility in this city. and I'm glad you do. Because God trusts you, man. Look at Isaiah 31, verse 4 and 5. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls a great lion over his prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against him, he is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. And at this time when we, we celebrate Passover, remember what it actually was. Eh? It was a shielding and a delivering. It was a preventing the destroyer from entering. It was a passing over. Because in that city were 10 righteous or 50 righteous. Because in that city were people who knew the mercy of God. Because in that city were people who had the wisdom of God. Because in that city there were people who began to seek and pray for the prosperity, the shalom, and the welfare of people. Because in that city were people who took a bit of salt and went and sprinkled it at the salt, at the source, decontaminating demonic pollution. Because in that city, a group of people decided that all of us are going to rise up as a household because we are born and bred for a time like this to rescue Lot and anybody else who needs rescue. Because in that city, there were people who would get up in the morning and Balak and Balaam would begin to hear the shout of a king, as in the rejoicing of a people over the fact that a king was present in their midst and in the city through them. That in that city there were people whose eyes are open to the fact that, ah, shucks, there are chariots and uh, soldiers here. But look a little higher and you see chariots of fire and the chariotry of Israel ready and waiting. Because in this city, people had the ability to climb up the watchtower, listen to God, craft what God was saying, and then begin to prophesy the intent of God upon the city. Because in this city, there is an ability that some have to dismantle powers that rally against using Isaiah 51 9 using Isaiah 27 1 using Isaiah uh, Psalm 77 13 and 14 in the city there were a people that had abandoned for the next two or three weeks their lifestyle to being absorbed with the majesty of the king of kings and the lord of lords bless you guys